Well, good morning. It's good to see you here on this brisk January day. Um, hope everybody made it okay. We're, we're getting spoiled. I know we'll pay for this probably in February, but um, it's good to see you here on this warm January morning. If you're visiting with us today, we would encourage you, as we do every week, please stop by our guest table located in the vestibule. Um, we have some folks there that can answer any questions that you may have concerning our ministries, how you can get involved here. Um, if you have anything like that, please stop by there. We have a gift for you as well, but please... Um, just make yourself at home while you're here. If you have any questions, just see one of our staff members, see one of our members. We'd love to take care of you if you have any questions. But right now, we're going to ask everyone to stand. And as we stand and as we welcome one another to the service, um, if you're sick, just wave at everybody. But if you're healthy, you can shake a hand or hug a neck and welcome them to the service.
Thank you. Don't you aren't you thankful you have someone you can call on in your time of need? And uh, that's why we set this time aside during our church service is that we can gather together as a church family and pray for your needs, for those that are in need, also for the needs of our church. So I'd invite you to join me here at the altar as uh, Sharon and the choir leads us in this song. And let's pray together to start this service off this morning. Lay down your pray as I pray. Father, as we come to you in prayer, first and foremost, we're so thankful that you hear us when we call on you. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Father, knowing that you can meet every need that we have. Father, we have uh, many in this congregation that have physical needs. Father, we've seen you uh, minister in supernatural ways, Lord, and we just want to thank you for that, Lord. We believe you can do it now. Father, we have those that have emotional needs. Father, those that are discouraged, depressed, downcast, Lord, you're the answer for their situation. I pray that you would encourage them. Father, there are many here, Lord, that have needs for their family. Father, I pray that you would bless and minister and meet those needs. Father, there may be some here today that need deliverance from something. And Jesus, I'm so thankful that you have the power to, to Lord, heal, restore, deliver, and, Lord, make us new again. Father, thank you for this opportunity to worship together. Lord, uh, here in just a moment, we're going to worship through an offering. Lord, we're so thankful that we can give. Lord, I pray that you'd bless those that do in supernatural ways, Lord. I pray that everything that's taken here, Lord, would be for your kingdom and that you'd be honored and glorified through the giving. Lord, through the singing, through the preaching, Lord, through the invitation time, I pray that your name would be glorified. And Father, we'll thank you and praise you for what you alone can do for us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Lay down your
that death surrendered to the mighty cross of Jesus Christ. The earth would shake beneath the weight of darkness.
you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 1 and stand with me. God has a sense of humor, does he not? And by the way, I love that song, Gene. Thank you so much for singing it. So if you have your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 1. We're not going to exposit this scripture tonight. We, we will probably next Sunday night. But notice what the writer of Hebrews says. He's trying to prove that Jesus Christ is superior to everybody. It's amazing that he lists angels first. Because the Jews had a tendency to worship angels. They understood that angels helped bring the law. Okay? They understood that angels were revered in the Old Testament because they had so many stories about angels. They were all true. All right? In the New Testament times, angels appear and do many things. So what the writer of Hebrews is saying is nobody compares to Jesus. Notice what he says in verse 5. He says, For to which, for to which of the angels did he ever say? Which of the angels did he ever say this? You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, he shall be to me a son. But when he shall bring, or, but when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him, talking about Jesus. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits? Now notice this, and his ministers a flame of fire. We're going to talk about that tonight. The Bible describes angels as being spirit beings, and it mentions wind and flames of fire. Isn't that amazing how it mentions that? Psalm 104 says the same thing. And then notice in verse 8, but to the Son, he says this. Your throne. See, he says angels are ministers. They're just spirits and they're ministers. But to the Son... Your throne, O God, notice how the writer of Hebrews is saying, Your throne, O God, talking about Jesus, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you. That's an amazing statement. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you. Talking about the Trinity, okay? Jesus is being God and God saying you're God. With the oil of gladness... More than your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. Angels didn't do that. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You fold them up, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not fail. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who inherit salvation? That's what angels do. They were created by Jesus for God's glory to worship him and to minister to you. Isn't that amazing? And we'll look at that probably next week. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Father, <clears throat> thank you for the truths, Lord, five truths that we're going to look at tonight about angels. Lord, it's a real simple message. Lord, it's not a, an incredibly long message. It doesn't have to be. But Father, I pray that we'd be encouraged as your children to know that, Lord, you are in, you're sovereign. You're in control. Lord, you don't have to use angels, but you do. Father, they've probably been at work in our lives, and we, we'll never know it till we get to heaven. And Father, we're just so thankful for that. But Lord, I do know this, that if we don't have a personal relationship with you, then the angels along with God, the Holy Father, will help bring eternal damnation on us. That's a, that's a fact that we'll look at tonight as well. So Father, I pray that we would be assured of our salvation before we leave this place tonight. We're going to look at, we can have New Jerusalem, a new earth, a new heaven, the angels with us, or we can have eternal damnation. And I pray that we would choose Jesus tonight for your honor and for your glory. Once again, in Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people said together, amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. One man said this, what exactly are angels anyway? What are they made of? Where did they come from? Where do they stay? How are they like me? How are they different? If an angel should appear, if I should somehow become acquainted with one, what should I expect? Do I have a guardian angel? What angels look like? 
You know, what, what are angels? The first thing we're going to see here, and the first fact you need to understand is that angels are just simply created beings. Like everything else, angels are created beings. They're not the result of some type of evolution. But they're created just as Adam was created. Angels had to be created. Angels were made in Christ and through Christ and for Christ. Notice what Colossians says. For by him, talking about Jesus, all things were created. Now Paul is writing this about angels because in Colossians 2, he warns them against worshiping angels because heresy was getting into the church. And Paul says this, For by him all things are created that are in heaven and that are on earth. Everything in heaven was created by Jesus. Everything on earth was created by Jesus. Things that are visible and things that are invisible. Okay, You've never seen an angel. And you're not going to, unless God just does something miraculous in your life. And he could do that if he wants to. He says whether they're visible, invisible, whether they're thrones or dominions. And if you see principalities or powers, when that phrase is used in Ephesians, it talks about rulers in the angelic world, principalities and powers. There's rank there. All things were created through him and for him. So angels were created at some point in time, and we're going to look at that in just a moment. There's a little bit of... uh, Disagreement on exactly when, but it's only one day. Okay, the, the disagreement of all the scholars is just one day, so it really doesn't matter. Okay, but we do know that angels had a creation period time, but they were created for Jesus. One scholar put it this way: What he's saying is Jesus was the way and the means in which they were fashioned. He is the purpose for their very existence. Jesus is their Lord and King. Many scholars believe that Paul included angels here because of the heresy that was going on in the Colossian church, because Colossians. 2.18 says this, Paul says, Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up in his fleshly mind. And what he's telling the church at Colossae is this, You're not worshiping angels. You can't worship angels. That's blasphemy. You can't do it. It's a sin for anyone to worship anything but Jesus. Now when we think about angels being created, notice what Revelation 4 says. Angels know they were created by and for the Lord's will, and they express this in their worship of Christ along with the 24 elders in Revelation 4 where they say this with the 24 elders, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. So what angels are singing in heaven is, By your will we exist, and by your will we were created. So angels are created beings. So with that said, when did God create angels? Notice the the passage in Job. You remember Job, he had an issue in his life. He suffered like nobody in the Old Testament. So he starts questioning God, why? Why? And God asks him some questions. He says, okay, Job, if you want to know so much, all right, let me ask you some questions. One of the questions he asked him is this, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Were you even here? Where were you, Job? And God has the right to ask that question. And I don't know how he asked it. It sounds like he just was very blunt. Where were you? Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Job, if you want to be so smart about things, where were you? I mean, it seems pretty, pretty rough conversation, but sometimes you've got to have that. Where were you? And then he says, It was while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. And David Jeremiah puts it this way in his book on angels, which is a great book. He says, Therefore angels were... And what... Actually, what God is telling Job here is that when God created the world, the angels shouted for joy. So they were there either before the creation or just soon after the creation. That's when angels were created. And David Jeremiah puts it this way. Therefore, angels were apparently made, and this is his opinion, before the third day of the creation week, the day when God gathered waters into the seas and the dry land appeared. Now, this is why he believes that. Look at Psalm 104, and I'm going to read this to you, because when you read Psalm 104... 
It is a song, it's a creation account of Genesis 1 and 2. Now Psalm 104 says this, and I'm just going to read through verse 6. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty. You cover yourself with, with light as with a garment. You stretch out the heavens like a curtain. He lays the beam of his upper chambers in the waters, as Genesis 1 says. Who makes the clouds of his chariot, who walks on the wings of the wind, who makes his angels, here he's talking about angels after creation period, his ministers of flame of fire. So David Jeremiah would say this, angels were apparently made before the third day because of this Psalm 104 verses 3 through 4. Verse 5 says this, You who laid the foundations of the earth so that it should not be moved forever, you covered it with the deep as with the garment the water stood above the mountains. So before people, David Jeremiah says, on the third day of creation, God created angels. And he says this, talking about Psalm 104. Psalm 104 seems to reflect the same timing for the angels' appearance. It's a psalm praising God's greatness for how he made and sustains all creation. In rich, poetic imagery, the opening lines give a broad overview of what God created. The psalm seems to follow the same sequence as Genesis 1. First of all, light, then the heavens, then the gathering of the heavenly waters... Then the land sees animals and man. Coming along naturally in this procession is verse 4, which says, He makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. These lines often taken as referring to angels, which they are. That's the way the New Testament writer quotes them in Hebrews 107. And in Psalm 104, this reference to angels comes immediately before the first mention, the mention of the earth in verse 5, He set the earth on its foundation. Now, Dr. Henry Morris, whom I have a lot of respect for, and anybody in the evangelical world does. He says this. He believes angels were created on the second day of creation because angels came at, as the next act after the creation of the space-time cosmos and the, establish, the establishment of God's light array throne therein. Either way, David Jeremiah says, angels are older than anything the world in the world as we see it. And one thing about angels is they're created. Angels do not age like we won't age one day. We age now, of course, but we won't that day. In that day, whenever the Lord gives us our glorified body, the Bible does not indicate that God has created or reduced any angels since his first creation of them. The Bible never says God keeps making angels. They can't reproduce, Jesus says. Jesus says when you get to heaven, you'll be like the angels who don't marry or reproduce. So angels don't reproduce. And since angels don't reproduce, we have as many angels today as we did in the beginning of time. Because that is God's plan. And you have a bunch of angels. We're going to look at that in just a minute. So the second, third point is this. How many angels are there? According to the Bible, they're innumerable. There's no precise count given in Scripture, but it does indicate more than we can count. When Jesus was being arrested in Gethsemane, he had to reassure his disciples that it was God's will. And remember, Peter tried to cut a guy's ear off. Matter of fact, he tried to cut his head off and cut his ear off because he was trying to protect Jesus. And Jesus told Peter, all right, if you try to live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. And what he's telling him is this, okay? Not that you can't carry a sword because he knew he had it with him, Right? He's telling him, you cannot advance the gospel this way because I'm going to the cross to die. Also, you're outnumbered, and you're going to die. They're going to kill you, Peter. And then Jesus miraculously put the guy's ear back on, and he's healed. Okay? And he says, put your sword away. But notice what the Bible says. Jesus says this to them. Do you not think that I can now pray to my Father, and he'll provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? That was a Roman word because you had legions. All right? Legions. One scholar put it this way, that's enough for each disciple to have his own entire legion for his personal bodyguards, because there are 12 disciples. A typical Roman legion numbered from three to 6,000 men, 
often with the same number of backup troops. So the total host Jesus brought to mind just for this one incident would be as great as 144,000 heavenly soldiers if he wanted them. That's what he's telling his disciples. I can call 144,000 elite angels right now if I want to. And that's what he told Pilate. I can do what I want to. I can call angels down now if I want to. And Now notice that this picture of numbers of angels in Hebrews chapter 12, and then we're going to look at Revelation chapter 11 as well, or chapter 5 as well. But notice in Hebrews 12, 22, it's on the screen, if you can read that small print. Contrast in the Mount of Zion and the Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai represented the law. Mount Zion represented heaven and everything about it. And this is what the writer of Hebrews says, but you have now left Sinai and you've come to Mount Zion to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. So what the writer of Hebrews is saying, you have the law that many of you Christians are trying to go back to Judaism, which is silly. Why would you do that? Because it does not, it does not bring salvation. It's, it's really salvation by your own works. Or you can have the gospel. He says, don't set aside the grace of God for the law. Do not do it. Do not go back. Do not go back. And then he, he says, you remember Mount Sinai where Moses got the law? You couldn't even touch it. You couldn't touch it. You would die. Moses came down. His face was a mess. He had, he had the Ten Commandments. Mount Zion, you're welcome. You're welcome. He says, it's such a wonderful place that thousands upon thousands of angels are joyfully singing together. One other translation says this, the gathering of countless happy angels. Another one says this, there are innumerable angels in festal gathering. And then the one I like the best says, millions of angels gathered for the festival. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is, do you want to go to Mount Sinai where you have the law, thunder, you can't touch it, can't touch the mountain, only one person goes up, God's representative, or do you want Mount Zion where we're all welcome? Because God is great and God is good. The angels are worshiping. Millions of angels are there. Wouldn't you want to be on Mount Zion, which brings peace, love, and joy? But the point he's making here is this. There are millions upon millions of angels. In Psalm 68, 17, David's thinking of the angels when he says this. The chariots of God are ten thousands of thousands and thousands of thousands. Now, in Sugarloaf, we'd say that's a lot. Okay? That's what I'd have said. It's a lot. Now listen to what Daniel's vision of Babylon. He saw God, whom he called the Ancients of the Days, on a flaming throne surrounded by angelic beings. He put it this way in Daniel 7.10. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousands times ten thousands stood before him. Over and over again. Thousands times thousands times thousands times ten thousands. The same language is used in Revelation 5.11 on the screen, which says this. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousands. Man circled the throne. So Daniel, David, writer of Hebrews, who we don't know who it is, John and Revelation, they all say the same thing. Thousands upon thousands times ten thousands times ten thousand. Isn't it amazing how they just kind of say the same thing? There's so many. One scholar put it this way. Taken literally, ten thousands times ten thousands, angels would be a hundred million of them. And using such numbers, the scriptures are probably describing simply an inexpressibly large host Far more angels than any of us could look at or count. That's not to say God, God does not know their number. The scriptures say he's counted the hairs of our head, and he's numbered and named all the stars in Psalm 147. He knows that not one of them is missing in Isaiah 40, 26. If he's calculated totals of stars of our head, the stars and our hair, surely he has the angels tally, but he didn't give us the tally, which is fine. So how many angels are there? I would say millions times millions times millions, more than you can count. 
And that's a blessing. All right? The fourth thing we know about angels is this. Angels are in heaven and come from heaven. Notice Luke 22 on the screen. The Bible says that good angels anyway are from heaven. Notice what the Bible says about Jesus when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. It says when Jesus was praying about the Lord's will, about the cup, he would pray and fall, pray and fall. said he walked about a stone's throw away and knelt down and prayed. And he says, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. So where did the angel come from? The angel came from heaven. All right? That's real simple. The angel from heaven. Angels, the good angels, that is, definitely call God's heaven their home. We see this especially in the Gospels in the book of Revelation. In Matthew 28, 2, the Bible says, after the, resur- or after the resurrection, three days later, an angel came down from heaven to roll back the stone guarding his tomb. In Matthew 18, Jesus himself refers often to angels in heaven. The angels who announce the birth of Christ are called the heavenly hosts in Luke 2. And then in Luke 2.15, when the shepherds left, they said that the, when the angels left the shepherds, it said that the angels left the shepherds and returned to heaven. So angels are in heaven. They come from heaven. Where are they now unless God sends them here? They're in heaven unless God has a unique plan for them. And then the final thing is this, and we'll close with this last point, is angels are spirit beings. And I'm just going to read what two scholars said here about this. Angels are spirit beings without permanent material bodies to haul around. They're specifically called ministering spirits in Hebrews 1.14, which we read. So each angel is a spirit, but what does that mean? A.W. Tozer says this. A.W. Tozer defines the word this way. Spirit means existence on a level above and beyond matter. It means life, subs- life subsisting in another mode. Spirit is substance that has no weight, no dimension, no size, nor existence in space. These qualities belong to matter and can, have, and can have no application to spirit. Yet spirit has true being and is objectively real. Angels are real but without material substance as we think of it. They apparently have no physical nature unless God sends them here in human form. No breath or blood. If they occupy some form of permanent bodies, these would be spiritual bodies perhaps like we will receive one day. In their spiritual state, angels have many limitations. Now think about that. That God can never have. Angels are not omnipresent. One angel can't be everywhere. One angel can only be, just like me, I can only be here. I can't be here and at home. Angels can't do that either. Satan can't do that either. Angels are not omniscient. They don't know the end of the world. They don't know. They're probably smarter than us, but they don't know a lot of things. Angels are powerful, but not all powerful. Notice how powerful they are in Revelation 1. The Bible says this. If you'll go to this next slide, Michael. The Bible says in, in Revelation 7, After this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or the sea or any tree. It's amazing how God uses wind and angels just like together all the time. We'll look at that in just a moment. But angels are not omnipresent. They're not all-powerful. One scholar put it this way. They can exercise only the energy God channels through them. They operate within the divine allowance that God gives them. If you read the book of Revelation, who's bringing all the judgment? Angels. (laughs) They're just bringing judgment and judgment and judgment and judgment because God allows them to do that. An angel throws Satan into the abyss. That's how powerful they are. Okay, But they're not all-powerful. All right? Angels also can face struggles. The angel who spoke with Daniel mentioned being detained by an encounter with what was apparently a demonic ruler, and he said that Michael, 
came to help me, Michael the Archangel. Apparently this angel needed an archangel, so it, it had limitations. Angels can't open a scroll. Remember Revelation 5, where, where, I'll just read it to you. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice. It's an angel saying it in Revelation 5. Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? And it's like he's saying, if you're worthy, come and take the scroll. And if you study the word scroll in hand in the Greek, Grant Osborne says this, who's a great scholar on the book of Revelation, that it's just sitting there. It's not grabbed. It's sitting there. And it's like God saying, if you're worthy, just grab it. And the angels proclaim it with a loud voice that goes throughout the universe, who's worthy? He didn't say who can. He says who's worthy. And guess who moves? An angel don't. You know why? Because they're not that crazy. Who's worthy? And then the book of Revelation goes on to say this. And I saw, a loud, I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed, and he's able to open the scroll and the seven seals. Okay? So angels are spirit, being, spirit beings with limitations, but they have far less limitations than we do. We have plenty of limitations, don't we? Okay? Angels are described in Scripture as being like the wind and flames of fire. We saw that in Psalm 104 and Hebrews 1.7. So the first one we're going to look at is the wind. Okay? And Psalm 18, which is on the screen, David writes this about God rescuing. He, he, he describes it this way. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherub, which is angels, and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. And oftentimes you see God using wind as judgment. And most scholars believe the wind is just simply angels God is using in judgment. Notice in Isaiah, or Isaiah 57, 13, it won't be on the screen, but listen to this. God talking about bringing judgment. When you cry for help, let your collection of idols save you. Because they were, they were having false worship. And God says, when you pray next time, because you keep worshiping Baal and all these false idols, let them save you. Just cry out to your piece of wood and let it save you. And then he says, then the wind will carry them all off. A mere breath will blow them all away. In Isaiah 17, 12 through 14, the Bible says this, Woe to the many nations that rage. They rage like the raging sea. Woe to the people who roar. They roar like the roaring of great waters. Although the peoples roar like the roar of surging waters, when he rebukes them, they will flee, away, flee far away. Driven before the wind, like the chaff on the hills, like tumbleweed before gale, in the evening sudden terror, before the morning they are gone. Indicating that God uses angels and the wind to bring judgment. Isaiah eleven fifteen, which will be on the screen. Talking about the parting of the Red Sea. The Lord will make a dry path through the gulf of the Red Sea. He will wave his hand over the Euphrates River, sending a mighty wind to divide it into the seven streams so it can easily be crossed on foot. Could God use wind? He could. But God probably used angels to control the wind to do it because he's done it so many times. Now think about in Jonah 1. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break up the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help, and they threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. Could God send a storm? He could. But he probably sent an angel to bring judgment through the wind. Because the Bible says that angels are like the winds, ministering spirits of God. All right? Oftentimes. They're also known as flaming fire. This is what really kind of I didn't know about. Think about this. Flame of fire is another image we get from, of angels from Psalm 104 and Hebrews 1. We just read both of those. David Jeremiah said this. 
Angels are connected with flames often enough in Scripture that you may want to pack along a fire extinguisher when you read about them. Fire, 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 fire. Angels, 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 angels. Listen. The cherubim who guarded the gates of Eden were accompanied by a flaming sword flashing back and forth. In Exodus 3, 2, the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in flames of fire from within a bush. Notice here, it'll be on the screen. Mananoah and his wife, the parents of Samson, were visited by an angel. And when Samson's dad offered a sacrifice on a rock that was then consumed by fire, the Bible says this, as the fire blazed up from the altar toward heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. Isaiah in Isaiah 6 saw a seraphim that flew toward him with a live coal in his hand. Fire. Ezekiel 1.13. Ezekiel looks at an angel and it says his appearance was like burning coals. This will be on the screen. Coals of fire are like torches. Fire moved back and forth among the creatures. It was bright and lightning flashed out of it. The angel that overwhelmed Daniel on the banks of the Tigris River. Daniel quotes this. He said, he had a face like lightning. His eyes were like flaming torches. In John's vision, in Revelation, he saw an angel in Revelation 10.1 that had legs like fiery pillars. In Revelation 14.18, John says there's an angel, another angel who had charge of the fire. Okay? Ministering spirits of fire. In Hebrews 12.29, where does this come from? The Bible says that our God is a consuming fire. When the Lord met Moses on Mount Sinai, the Bible says it was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The Lord promised Zechariah many, many years ago that he would be a wall of fire around his people. When we look forward to a time when God brings judgment in 2 Thessalonians 1.7, it says, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. Wind, angels, fire, angels. One scholar put it this way. We associate fire with hell, and we frequently think of flames as the devil's instrument. But hell is set afire by God and his angels who will toss both Satan and all who belong to him into the torturing flames of the lake of burning sulfur. Jesus said eternal fire is prepared for Satan and his angels, so fire is not something Satan designed or desires. It is from God and for God's purposes. In Isaiah 66, 15 through 16, I think this will be on the screen. The very last book of Isaiah, the fifth gospel is Isaiah. The very last book. When God brings judgment on those who will not repent in the final Final days, okay? Notice what Isaiah sees, and you can read this in Revelation. It's almost verbatim. See, the Lord is coming with fire, and his swift chariots roar like, roar like a whirlwind. He will bring punishment with the fury of his anger and the flaming fire of his hot rebuke. The Lord will punish the world by fire, just like Peter said. God's going to burn the place up, and he's going to use God and the angels because they are instruments of fire. The Lord will punish the world by fire and by his sword. He will judge the earth and many will be killed by him. Wind and fire, angels. So fire in the Bible is not a bad thing. It's not something that Satan uses. As a matter of fact, one scholar said this, fire is God's tool and he makes it the property of angels. And I would say this, are you going to miss the fire of God's wrath? Not without Jesus. You know what Isaiah 66 goes on to say? Now listen to what it says. It's not going to be on the screen. I should have put it on, on, on the screen. This is the final prophecy. He says this, For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, says the Lord. So God's saying, we're going to have a new heavens and a new earth. Okay, because God is going to purge this earth in fire. So shall your descendants and your name remain. So Isaiah 66, 22, you can read Revelation 21, 1, and God's saying the same thing, just, just verbatim. 
He says, So shall your descendants and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall shall come to me to worship before me, the Lord says. And they shall go forth and look upon the corpses of men who have transgressed against me. And what Isaiah is saying in, in his own terms is this. You will see all those who rejected Christ on the last day. And if you read Revelation 19, it just talks about how there's the birds just eat for days on these people. He says, who have transgressed against me. And then he says this. And Jesus quoted this very uh, verse when he was talking about hell. He says, for their worm does not die. Their fire shall not be quenched. They shall be an abhorrence to all flesh forever. Literally, the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever and ever and ever. So you have this option here tonight. You can have New Jerusalem, a new heaven, a new earth, the angels of God worshiping Jesus, or you can have hell and a worm that does not die. To me, it seems like a simple decision, is it not? Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? If not, I would encourage you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Because what God says through Isaiah will happen. God will come and fiery vengeance. Every one of Jesus' disciples that wrote in the Bible uh, prophesied that. And if you, are things right between you and the Lord? If not, I would encourage you to take just a few moments and search your heart. If you never placed your faith and trust in Christ, the Bible says that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Even now, on a Sunday night, you can be born again. I was born again on a Tuesday night. Just ask the Lord to save you. Repent and believe the gospel. Fathers, we come to you in prayer. We want to thank you for your word. Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for the ministry of angels. Lord, I want to thank you, Lord, that we're uh, that you're my father. And that, Lord, angels are here for us, as the writer of Hebrews says. They're there to minister to those who are inherit salvation. So, Lord, I pray that we'd never take our salvation for granted. Lord, we have more than we realize. Lord, we'll never fully realize what, what we gained in salvation until we get to heaven. I think that's why there's perpetual praise right now going on. Because people realize what they have, what you kept them from. So Lord, I pray that we would never take your precious gift for granted. And Lord, if there's someone, anyone here tonight that's never placed their faith and trust in you, I pray that tonight would be their night of salvation. And we love you tonight, Father. In Jesus' name I pray and all God's people said together, Amen. Amen. God bless you. I hope you have a great week and we hope to see you back here Wednesday.